The past year had been a whirlwind of exciting events for Joseph and Mary. There was their engagement and the celebrations of the two families, and then the wedding that would take place within the year. Then Mary had an extraordinary encounter with Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, who informed her that she was very highly favored, and consequently God had chosen her to be the mother of his son. The angel described who this child would be, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked, how is this supposed to happen? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary told Joseph that she was pregnant and how the pregnancy had come about. Joseph just couldn't comprehend. He couldn't wrap his mind around it. And he isolated himself from her and decided that he would divorce her quietly, causing her the least amount of shame. So the angel Gabriel visited Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And Joseph was obedient to the Lord. This is what Matthew says. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Now fast forward nine months. So much has happened in the last two weeks of that nine months. They had been both exhilarating and frightening. Here's a few bullet points. They had been forced to make the 100-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem while Mary was in her nine, ninth month. They could not find any place to stay, so they settled for a stable, the place where animals were kept for the night. Then the baby came with no one to help. Joseph had delivered the baby and laid him in a feeding trough wrapped in linen strips. A week later... Mary, barely recovered, must now go to the temple with Joseph for the baby to be circumcised and the baby to be named. This is the Hebrew custom and law. His name shall be Jesus. Mary and Joseph know that. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. The greatest significance of this trip to the temple was the naming. Jesus is the Greek rendering of Joshua. You remember Joshua, right? He's in the Old Testament, the one who took over from Moses and the great general who would take the people from the desert into the promised land. His name originally had been Hosea, which means salvation. And Moses had changed his name to Joshua. So the Greek rendering of Jesus is both Savior or salvation and deliverer, because Jesus is both our Savior and deliverer. He is a mighty God. That's why Isaiah had prophesied he is the mighty God, the one who can deliver us. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. 
and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus from the cross says, I am the mighty God who delivers us. He delivers us from depression, from addiction, from the bondage of sin. Mary and Joseph knew what to name their baby when they went to the ceremony. To Joseph, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. The angel had said to Mary, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. I wonder, as the priest asked, what will you name this baby? If there wasn't a sense of amazement that came over Joseph and Mary, as Joseph answers back, Jesus, both of them having been told by the angel to name him Jesus, after all that had happened and the weeks before. Now, they go home. They're probably staying in a rented room in, in Jerusalem because they are from Nazareth, but they're still there. In Jerusalem, Joseph has probably gotten some temporary work. Now, 40 days have passed since the birth, and now Mary and Joseph return back to the temple. This time, it will be for the ceremony of her purification and for the dedication of the child. Now, we do not baptize infants by pouring water on them. We dedicate them as Jesus was dedicated in this event. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, this offering, a pair of doves or two young pigeons, is for the poor, the very, very poor. It's very clear that Christianity began in the spirit of need because these two people are very poor. It's part of Mary's song. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away. The angel's revelation to the outcast shepherd is a message that God went to the needy of heart. The wretched circumstances of Christ's birth send the message that Christ searches for the brokenhearted. Listen to what David wrote. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Christ never came for the self-sufficient. He came for those who are aware of their spiritual need and who actually want salvation. So I want to talk about the ceremony that took place in the temple. Here it is described. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. So meet Simeon, a man with a longing heart. Everyone has a longing heart in some way. Some long for friendship, long for love. Some long for wealth, others long for recognition, 
others for success. Some long for a family. Everyone is longing for something, even if they don't actually know what they're longing for. Simeon longed for the Messiah. He was a priest. He knew the Old Testament scriptures that prophesied the coming of the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon, before you die, Simeon, you're going to see the Messiah. And this day, that longing was fulfilled. It was probably just another day when Simeon got up and got himself going. He's an older man, and when you're older, it takes a little while longer to get your motor going. Maybe Simeon struggled a little bit, but it's going to be a day at work at the temple. But this day, he is going to meet the Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. No mere coincidence. God is directing the events of this day. And Joseph and Mary get up, get ready, get the baby that's just a little over a month old now. They head to the temple. God is now directing a very divine encounter. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He actually had this expectancy in his heart. Would this be the day? He had been saying that for years and years. Joseph and Mary have already seen enough extraordinary things that they know that God is directing their path. There was the visits of the angel Gabriel to both of them, Mary's journey to visit Elizabeth, and yet Elizabeth knew all about her and no one had told her. Zechariah had had a visit from Gabriel. He had been left speechless until John had been born. There was John, their, their son, who was a miracle because Elizabeth was far past the age of getting pregnant. There was the fourth journey to Bethlehem, the frantic search for a place to give birth, Mary's labor and giving birth in the stable, Mary's son. And Joseph and Mary know he is born to a virgin. The recognition that God had directed their path to Bethlehem. Angels had appeared to shepherds. And the shepherds had come to the stable telling them about these angels. It all seemed unbelievable, but it all had God's signature on it. Matthew says God was directing everything. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So think about this word, Emmanuel. Now, in English, we read from left to right, but in Hebrew, it's the opposite. You actually start at the other end. We would say backwards. So the L is God in Hebrews, and Imenu means with us. God is with us. That's the name Matthew says. We will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It would be impossible for Joseph and Mary to experience everything they had experienced in those nine months, the divine encounters, God moving and touching. These two people had a sense that God was directing the events. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But he stands alone. Who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. 
All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? For the Lord Almighty has purposed and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out and who can turn it back? On the day that Joseph and Mary go to the temple, believe me, this is a very busy place. It's a large place and there are hundreds and hundreds of people. There's more than 50 priests attending on any given day. And there are lines. Mary and Joseph are from the country. And large crowds probably make them nervous. I'm from the country. I know a little bit about that. People from the country enjoy a little bit of solitude and when you are in such a busy place. But very suddenly in the hustle and bustle, there's an encounter with a priest who makes them feel so comfortable and it's as if they've known this man because God has chosen Simeon for this encounter, this aged priest who's been waiting all of his life. And as soon as he meets Mary and Joseph, God speaks to him and says, this is it, Simeon. They hold the Messiah in their hands. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God immediately, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. The sense of excitement, the sense of fulfillment, because he knew he was holding the Messiah in his arms. And Simeon sings a song. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Just looking at this child, he experienced this profound peace, the one the angels had saying to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Simeon was ready to go home. You have fulfilled your promise. And why is he ready to go home? Because he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. The salvation of which Simeon sang about here is this universal offer of salvation that comes from the Savior. Although he was a baby, and listen to the rest of Simeon's song, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon was singing about us. We're the Gentiles. The example of Simeon should be powerful to all of us to embrace Jesus, who will satisfy the longing of our heart. He looks at Jesus. He looked again. His heart's overflowing with his joy. He knows he's holding the Redeemer. It's amazing that he could have in that moment understood what all of the big shots in Jerusalem, all of these powerful, powerful religious establishment knew nothing. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. What amazement. Every syllable he uttered had to be impressed upon their minds. And then, as if that wasn't enough, up comes Anna. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. So there was the priest, there was also Anna. Both are waiting for Christmas, waiting for the Savior to come. Nobody tells Anna. Anna 
gets tipped off by the Holy Spirit, he's here. These two very, very insignificant people, these older people, know what nobody else knows. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. That's amazing to me. Simeon and Anna represent all who are living for the grace of God. In that setting, there's the poor carpenter and his wife, the outcast shepherds, all examples of who God came to save. Profoundly empty and profoundly full. They long for righteousness and for consolation, and they know it comes through this Savior. They came to God's house hungry, and they will leave that day full. Simeon's soul was satisfied. So much so, he says, I am ready to go home. It has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he's seen the Lord's Christ, and he saw it on that day. But as he is holding this baby and as he's singing this song, there is what we call an oracle of God. We have the Bible given to us. There are no more oracles. God is not speaking to anyone, regardless if you heard somebody on television get up and say they had a revelation of God. and It isn't happening today. The Bible is written. But in the days before the Bible was written, God did speak through his prophets. And he does through Simeon. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought the child to do for him what the custom of the law required. And Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. He sings that song. The New Testament church would call Simeon the God-receiver because he received the Messiah. But then he looks directly at Mary and he gives this prophecy. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The future will also bring you sorrow, Mary. Though she did not know it and Joseph did not know it, before long they would have to flee to Egypt to save the child's life. Her son would be the most misunderstood and rejected of everyone in Israel. The terrible events of the Passion Week could not have been imagined. And watching her son die on the cross would be the greatest sword that would ever pierce her soul. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Jesus' birth is the sign. When people truly encounter Christ, their inner thoughts, whatever they are, the evil thoughts are seen for what they are. Human goodness is seen, according to the Bible, as filthy rags. There is no human goodness, and unless we are willing to fall, the falling of many and the rising, that falling is our repentance. It's our willingness to accept our lot as sinners and receive Christ's redemption and Christ's forgiveness. In reality, Simeon was saying, this child is a destiny maker. Jesus, when simply accepted or rejected, causes the failure or success of those who meet him. Jesus will be loved and hated, honored or dishonored, understood or misunderstood, depending on the reception of the person receiving him. Those who accept him will find purpose 
for which they were created, those who reject him will be forced to reveal the hatred and dishonesty within. It's amazing what Jesus does. He can make a simian of you. Will you open up your heart and you say, I am satisfied, I have found the longing of my heart fulfilled, or he can make you into a hater of God, a dishonest, a disloyal hater of God. And why is there so much hatred of Jesus Christ? It is this that Simeon has predicted. He will be the sign. You will either love him or hate him, but there is nothing in between. Bret Hart was raised in New York City, but he made his way to the West, specifically to San Francisco. And San Francisco in the 1850s was a pretty rough place. In fact, they actually built a sidewalk or a wharf right over the ocean. And people, all the stores were there. They say that a lot of people probably drowned because you never know when a board would break and they'd go right into the ocean. But San Francisco was growing faster than they could keep up with it especially with gold being found up in the mountains. So Brett had made his way there, not for gold, but to write about. So he's written several books. They put it all into one, about 450 pages, and most of them are short stories, and they are about characters he met in San Francisco and in the mountains. Pretty interesting stories. Here's one of them. It's called The Luck of Roaring Camp. Roaring Camp is a mining town in the Sierra Mountains of California at the turn of the century. It is a wild, forsaken place. It is filled with brawling, cussing, surly, mean-spirited men who work hard in the mines all day and drink and fight at night. There are all these men and one woman, Cherokee Sal. Cherokee Sal dies giving birth to a baby. Suddenly, these scarred, hard-fisted men have this squalling, wiggling, diaper-filling baby on their hands, and they don't quite know what to do. They wrapped her up in rags and put her in a box, but that doesn't look right, so they send a man 80 miles west, and he comes back with a hand-carved rosewood cradle. They put the baby in it and wrapped, wrapped her up in rags, but that doesn't look right, so they send another man to Sacramento who returns with lace and a silk blanket. They bundle the baby bundle a baby in that and put her in the rosewood cradle, but how dirty the floor is. So they do something they've never ever done before. They break out the buckets, water, soap, and brushes, and they get down on their hands and knees and scrub. After they wash the floor, they look up, well, that wall is horrible. They scrub the wall, then they see the grimy windows. They polish those up, and now the windows have to have some curtains. They take the little baby with her rosewood cradle and silk blanket to the mine shaft entrance, when they go down. And when they come up, they bring shiny rocks and put them around here. They plant a hedge and a garden. She can't just be there. They got to make it beautiful where she is. The general store does business in soap and cleaning materials, something they never sold before. The baby changes everything. Jesus changes the world in every way every single person who comes to him in ways that no one would ever imagine. James Buchanan writes, This Christ child 
In the arms of Simeon represents the convergence of his dreams, his hopes, the thing that would console him as a man, as a person, and the millennial hope yearning of the nation Israel. And of all people and of all creation, that would, there would be salvation. That's who Christ is. That's what he represents. The fulfillment of every longing in every person. Does he do that instantly? Does he take away the longing and the yearning in every person's heart? No. Not until they come like Simeon. Not until they embrace him. Not until they receive him. As Simeon's name is, God Receiver. What an epithet, huh? To be able to say, he was a God Receiver. He embraced Jesus. He embraced God. He died such a contented man, such a satisfied heart, because he embraced God. Mary's song has something for us today. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. So I have a question for you. Are you hungry for God? Or will you be sent away because your heart doesn't have room? These verses have been speaking to me this week. Of all the places in the New Testament, this is the only place where Jesus ever comments on his own heart. Spurgeon is the one who said that. Otherwise, I would never know it. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. The weary is the labor. You are laboring, trying to make your life work. And burdened is the burden you're carrying, placed on you by other people, your parents, your sin. You're, you're laboring. Picture climbing a mountain with a heavy backpack on your back. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is, this is Simeon's Savior. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The picture here is a yoke that goes on oxen. So it's made for two oxen, but this is Jesus' yoke. So when you yoke up with him, he carries the whole load. It's kind of like a no yoke. You yoke with me, but I do all the work. And this is Jesus' comment about himself. For I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The struggling, weary, fighting person, this heavy yoke, and Jesus says, I will put a burden on you that is easy and light. This verse has been speaking to me this week. I've been saying it over and over. This is Jesus speaking in John chapter 6. All these the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. I will never drive away. Whoever comes to me I will never turn away. Never. Never. 